In the wake of the interbank payments heists that exploited authentication and transaction verification weaknesses in SWIFT transactions, the security practices at global institutions have been called into question, including those used by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, which in February approved an $81 million transfer from an account at the Central Bank of Bangladesh that turned out to be fraudulent. Given all of the attention that is paid to commercial bank account wire and ACH payments by banking regulators over the last six years, it seems odd that such glaring weaknesses in interbank transactions could be overlooked, but they have. So what needs to be done now? And what steps are U.S. institutions of all sizes taking to ensure they are shoring up their own security gaps? Here, Andrew Davies, a fraud prevention expert at core banking services provider Fiserv, discusses steps core processors and banking institutions are now taking to ensure that they are adequately addressing the authentication and transactional verification weaknesses that allowed swift transaction approval processes to be compromised and expands on what needs to happen in the U.S. before faster payments can become a reality. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. So, Andrew, just from your perspective, what ultimately caused the SWIFT-related heists? Was it poor authentication or something more? What causes these threats to materialize is obviously you know, ever-increasing sophistication in the, um, in the attacks by fraudsters. That includes attacks which are, uh, compromise authentication, and these are um, obviously initiated by malicious software. They're um, initiated by fraudsters that have infiltrated systems directly and also internal threats. So I think it's certainly related to the authentication of these transactions, but also um, actually sort of goes into the entire area of how all of these types of payments are initiated and making sure that the endpoints on all of these networks, whether the network be the SWIFT network, whether the, uh, the network be um, US domestic payments over the Fedwire system, it, all of these endpoints have the potential to be compromised and, and leading to the authentication or an initiation of these transactions. So it's not only the authentication that provides risk, but it's also the other ways that, um, that people can bypass this authentication through the initiation of things like standing orders or the modification of standing orders, which have already gone through an authentication process. So there's really a number of, of risks that need to be uh, dealt with. And, and probably the best way to do that is to do that beyond the authentication and look at sort of behavioral monitoring of the initiation of these high value payments. Andrew, do you think that these heists prove that the U.S., which is in the process of moving toward faster and in some cases even real-time payments, is not really ready for a real-time payments environment? I think um, certainly faster payments, immediate payments uh, introduce a level of risk that's certainly in the U.S. that's not existed in the past. I think as we move to immediate payments and a faster payment network in the United States, we need to consider the flawed risks of introducing you know, real-time settlement of payments. When we introduced faster payments in the UK around 2007, um, the fraud levels are still yet to go back to uh, pre-faster payment levels. So you have to make sure that any deployment of a real-time payment system has to consider the fraud risks. I think it's something that is, is under consideration, is a topic that um, certainly the financial institutions, the, the regulators that I talk to certainly are aware of the uh, potential risk and it has to be some sort of fraud interdiction service needs to be considered as part of the deployment of any real-time uh, gross settlement system. So. 
whether we're ready or not, I think is uh, certainly something that we need to consider. And right now, we probably need to think about deploying a centralized or at each of the endpoints, a mechanism for those uh, financial institutions to make sure that the fraudulent payments are not initiated because obviously the, there's limited repudiation options once you've initiated a transaction. Andrew, of course, there are risks related to real-time payments, but there also are a lot of security advantages, are there not? Well, there are, yes, absolutely. It's, it's a, a valid point. I mean, the interesting thing about um, certainly high-value uh, payments that are going that are settled in real-time, then there's a uh, you know, that limits settlement risk. Uh, which has been a great benefit in global markets through the deployment of things like the Continuous Link Settlement Bank. Also, um, in previously, when you've used uh, mechanisms like letters of credit, for example, for international transactions, there's been you know, the letter of credit has dealt with some sort of you know, financial crime risk or fraud risk or, or default risk. So uh, real-time settlement has its you know, myriad of, uh, of benefits, but it is something that um, does introduce a potential for greater fraud risk. So it's really um, making sure that those fraud risks are successfully managed as you move into that real-time environment. But yes, yeah, certainly there are benefits, otherwise we wouldn't do it. And, and there are economic benefits as well, you know, encouraging trade, for example. So, Andrew, what steps are banking institutions that you work with now taking to address their own risks to help prevent heists like the SWIFT-related heists from happening in the future? So the networks themselves um, are obviously secure. You know, it's one of the uh, one of the benefits of um, you know, leveraging a network or a service um, you know, provided by an organisation like SWIFT. The uh, financial institutions that I'm dealing with are really working on analysing and monitoring in real time the initiation of, of transactions and making sure that they're consistent with the behaviour of either the customers that they're initiating the transactions on behalf of or, or any financial transactions that they're initiating on behalf of their own bank. So really monitoring that historical behavior, looking for deviations, pooling data into consortium models provided by their vendors, and looking at analyzing those, those transactions to make sure that if something is anomalous, they can stop the transaction before it's actually released into the settlement infrastructure. So that's really something that's, that's driving a lot of use of technology, a lot of understanding of predictive variables that could be red flags to indicate that a transaction is um, being fraudulently initiated. All of this done through a, sort of a real-time uh, mechanism to stop the transactions going out into the settlement system and not being able to sort of repudiate them. So people are doing all of that in real time and really leveraging the value of um, data that they may have and also data that their vendor may have. Andrew, you mentioned that some of this anomaly detection or some of the analytics here can be conducted in real time. Is this something that core processors such as Fiserv are helping banking institutions with, or is this something that they can do solely on their own? Well, certainly, from the Fiserv perspective, we're helping our uh, customers, both those customers that um, we provide core banking services to and other financial institutions that want to leverage specific uh, solutions that we have to monitor payments. So um, it's something that the, the broader industry providers like Fiserv we can actually take pooled data 
analyze it, realizing the benefits of a large quantity of data and previous outcomes of uh, fraud investigations. We are taking that data, utilizing it in uh, anonymous ways for particular financial institutions so that we can help them manage the risk given the data that we have access to. So financial institutions can obviously do their own uh, anomaly detection. But it's only really as valuable as the um, the data that they've got access to and the, the sophisticated analytics. So what we're doing is we're taking our pooled data that we have access to, understanding the fraud tags or the red flags that, that we can yield from that data, having our data scientists look at that data through a lens of potential fraud, um, and then providing real-time uh, access to the outcomes of analyzing that data to make a determination as to whether a particular transaction should be stopped uh, before it's released in the settlement system. And we'll, we'll do things like um, provide lift charts for uh, the financial institutions that are using our data so that they will um, be able to see set thresholds and tolerances for risk that are consistent with their risk assessment. So we'll say things like, you know, if you want to monitor for, or, or based on the data that we've got, if you want to, um, you know, stop 98% of any fraud, then you need to investigate this number of potential alerts based on these reason codes that we've extracted from the analytics. And that mechanism, that setting of those tolerances really is something that we can help advise the uh, the financial institutions on so that they can minimize their exposure to this particular risk. So Andrew, this is something that could be a service that could be outsourced to a third-party provider such as Fiserv or someone else. Yeah, absolutely. The analysis of the data, the, inter, the real-time interdiction, and even, and, and this, this is sort of taking it to an extreme, so that, that's really the sort of IT and technology outsourcing and behavioral analysis and analytics piece can be outsourced. And also, you know, if you think about it, you could actually take out the remediation of these alerts and, and have expert reviewers looking at the alert saying, okay, based on our experience across multiple financial institutions, you know, an X percentage or a, a score likelihood associated with a particular transaction that could indicate a level of risk or a fraud risk associated with a particular transaction. So really the whole end-to-end a life cycle from the initiation of a high value payment or even, you know, even low value. The same, the same techniques apply in say US domestic ACH as well as Fedwire as well as the initiation of um, you know, transactions over the SWIFT network or over what becomes the faster payments in the US. So the, uh, it's, you know, it's from the initiation all the way through to the releasing of transactions into the settlement infrastructure that can be uh, monitored um, and processed through you know, vendors like BISO. Andrew, from a regulatory perspective, should U.S. banks and credit unions be preparing for more oversight of their interbank messaging during their future IT examinations? In my opinion, yes. Obviously, there's been historical need to do anomaly detection of all types of transactions that have exposed bank banks themselves and bank customers to particular risks. Um, because of the high profile nature of the incident that you mentioned um, earlier related to the Central Bank of Bangladesh and the Federal Reserve, the regulators are aware of these issues. There is huge exposure, not only to individual financial institutions, but also to the market infrastructures it, 
themselves. So I think these, uh, these risks need to be considered in any risk assessment that a financial institution uh, performs and people need to be prepared to answer questions about how they're mitigating this risk. And I think, as you mentioned, you know, this is something that exposes bank customers to risk, banks to risk, and because of the, the potential um, cataclysmic nature of the scale of some of these frauds, the system itself is, is at risk. So the system of bank-to-bank -bank payments, if you, you know, on the Fedwire system, for example, uh, supports bank, an individual payment in excess of a billion dollars. So it, you know, as you move that sort of infrastructure to real time, then uh, you, know, you need to make sure that these huge payments aren't uh, fraudulently initiated because um, you know, there may be sort of real-time settlement and, and some degree of ability to unwind a, a transaction between two US domestic financial institutions. But if all of a sudden there's uh, you know, a payment that's fraudulently initiated between two domestic financial institutions, that then leads to another transaction being initiated from a commercial financial institution out into the SWIFT network to, let's say, an organization somewhere in, the, in Asia, for example, who knows how if we could recover those funds and if the financial institution that's lost those funds needs to make other commitments based on you know, an expect to receive message from another financial institution, then there could be a domino effect on a series of payments that could lead to exposure and risk at a number of financial institutions along the payment chain. And then finally, Andrew, before we close, are there any additional thoughts or words of advice that you'd like to offer our audience? Yes, I think as we've seen from the initial question that you asked, Tracy, really was you know about authentication of these messages. I, I look at this as a, a threat beyond the perimeter. We know that systems are going to be hacked. We know that there's malicious software that are attacking the systems that we use to uh, drive our sort of financial services businesses. I think if we look at it beyond that authentication, and you know, we don't want to bring down our barriers for the authentication of transactions, we want to be as strong there as we can, but also bear in mind that once the perimeter has been exposed, and this is from a technology perspective and a employee perspective, there may be some compromise where someone's being manipulated to initiate uh, transactions. I know that recently you had uh, sort of written an article on CEO fraud, for example. So look at it beyond the perimeter, beyond the authentication level, to look at more behavioral monitoring and make sure that you use analytics that can analyze behavior beyond that authentication that you can leverage in real time to stop transactions going out into the, the real-time settlement systems. So it's really making sure that we understand behavior, making sure that we understand that there is always going to be a threat and every transaction needs to go through the sort of analytical analysis to stop the initiation of these transactions going out into the market because they undermine the very market themselves. Well, Andrew, I'd like to thank you again for your time today. Thanks, Tracy. I really appreciate your time and the, the work that you do on banking for security. So again, we've just heard from Andrew Davies of Fiserv for Information Security Media Group. I'm Tracy Kitten.